Okay, so as you guys have your guys' study sheets. Go ahead and take your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We're diving right back into biblical relationships. Yeah, yeah. Oh, don't steal my pen. Don't steal my pen. It's over. All right. I smell something a brewing. Okay. All right. So tonight we're going to be talking about the marriage relationship. Now, uh, those of you who may not really, you're like, what the heck? Why are we talking about marriage? I'm not ready to get married. I'm not married. I don't have a, I don't have a wife. I don't have a husband. Okay. All right. Yeah. Exactly. So we're going to be talking about these things because we need to talk about these things. And here's the reality behind it. And I want you to think about this as we go through the lesson. Um, How do you know uh, what God requires of you to be a husband or a wife if you don't start putting those things into practice now? You got to start doing these things now. And so I'm not saying go get married. It's ridiculous. That's not what I'm saying. But there are certain things, there are certain characteristics, certain uh, traits of a good biblical husband, a good biblical wife that you can start putting into practice now when it comes to your friendships, when it comes to your parental relationships, when it comes to stuff at school, when it comes to even dating relationships. There's certain things you guys can start doing now so that when the day comes where God provides someone for you, you've already practiced some of these things. Because there's a lot of people that they start dating and yeah, they may not do it exactly the right way and they might make some mistakes, but then they get to the point where like, okay, I'm going to marry this person. And then they're like, okay, uh, will you marry me? Yes, of course. And they're like, okay, now I need to know what it means to be a biblical husband or, or a biblical wife. No. There's been a lot of people that try to do that and it is hard. It is much better to start now where you guys are at, at your age, to put these things into practice now before God brings someone into your life. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. And so as we talk about the review a little bit, this is going to come up every single week uh, that we mention it, um, talking about the relationship that we have with God and that your relationship with God has to be where it's supposed to be first before you can actually have good biblical relationships with other people. That Christian supposed to drive me nuts. My mom is. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, it is, so you have to have your relationship with God first, and now it's even worse because now there's more stuff on the screen. Okay. Oh. <laughs> All right, don't worry, we got clickers. Okay, so, all right, that's much better. Okay, so your relationship with God has to be where it's supposed to be. You have to have a good relationship with God first before you can ever have good relationships with other people. We've talked about this every single week. And this is especially true in the marriage relationship. Because in the marriage relationship, there is no one else, humanly speaking, this is the way it should be. It's not always this way in real life, but this is the way it should be. There's no one else that's going to be as humanly close to you as your spouse. That's important. I want want to make sure you guys get that. Because there's a lot of marriage relationships where that's not true. Other friends, other family, other people are closer to them than their husband or wife. And that's not right. And so your relationship with God has to be the priority. You and God are good and on good terms. And then it comes to your spouse, and that is the second closest relationship you will ever have in your entire life. So you've got to make sure you have these things in their proper order. All right, so let's talk about this. The husband and the wife. So, paragraph. After setting the context of the most important relationship being God and mankind, 
We need to be careful to look at every other relationship through that same context. God has to be first. Just like our great-grandfather, Adam, when we lose our focus and forget our preeminent relationship with God, we will forget our purpose and risk creating unbiblical relationships in our life because the focus is no longer about glorifying God. It's now about making ourselves happy. And once you start having that perspective, then you begin to use people in your friendships, in your dating relationships. You start to use people saying, well, how do they make me feel? How do they add uh, value to my life? How do they make me feel like a better person? Rather than understanding, no, my relationship with God comes first my value, my purpose comes from him. And then as a result, then I can have good relationships with other, with other people. So unbiblical relationships are created by our selfish, prideful flesh and will always, 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 always steal glory from God. They will destroy us, everyone around us, and any potential we may have had to, glor- to, to give God honor and glory. All right, so let's talk about this husband and wife relationship. So as children... The husband and wife relationship was the very first relationship we are introduced to in this life. I mean, think about it. You guys were born, and not everybody was born in the in this type of a scenario, but you guys were born to a mother, at least, at a bare minimum, right? Some of you don't have a father, or some of you don't know your dad, or some of you met them later, or there may have been other complications. Ideally, the way it's supposed to work out is that a baby is born into this world and they have a mother and a father. And the way it is supposed to be from God's perspective, that mother and father are married in a marriage relationship. That's the way it was designed from the very beginning. You open up Genesis chapter 1, God creates everything. And then in Genesis chapter 2, he brings man and woman together, right? That's exactly what he does. So that is the first relationship that we're introduced to in the Bible. That's how it's supposed to work. Now, socially speaking, that's not popular. A lot of people ridicule that perspective. Does that make it untrue? No. And see, this is where we're faced with a choice as Christians. Who are we going to believe? Are you going to go with the flow with the rest of society, knowing that it's completely godless? Or are you going to believe what the Bible says? It's one of the hardest things that we can do. I mean, it's hard. I'm not going to say it's easy to believe that or to go that way. I mean, some of you guys have already started to feel some of the pressure from school. Am I right? With some of this stuff. And it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. Because we're the weirdos because we believe in marriage between a man and a woman. I'm like, wait, when did we become the weirdos? You know what I mean? Like, when did that happen? Because from the very beginning, the way God designed us as a human race, this is the way it was supposed to be. You know how the oddities happened? We began to love ourselves more than God and perversion occurs. That's the root of all perversion. I don't care what it is, sexual or else. Perversion comes when we love self more than God. When we're not willing to yield ourselves to the Lord and follow what he says, the only result can be perversion. So if there's perversion in your life, that's because your focus is off. God is not worshipped and adored in your life the way he should be. And so as children, this relationship is the very first one that we're introduced to. And now take a look at this. When lived out according to God's word, this relationship has the incredible potential to display a visible picture of the gospel to the lost world. It's unbelievable. I have you guys in Genesis 2, but go ahead to uh, Ephesians 5. Go to Ephesians 5. We've briefly mentioned this. We maybe even hit this verse once or twice, but it's worth looking at in light of this context. Ephesians 5. So the husband and wife relationship has the ability to physically live out an example of what the gospel is supposed to be. And that's why in Ephesians 5, 
God says in verse 22, he starts talking to wives and then to husbands. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ. Wait a minute, what? Hold on. He just switched gears. Wasn't he talking about wives to husbands, right? Verse 22 and 23. Then he says in verse 24, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. So now you see this correlation that a wife is a picture of the church and the husband is the picture of Christ himself. And so then that's when he goes into verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of of water by the word, that he may present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. See, in this passage from 22 to 33... God goes back and forth and he goes, husbands, wives, Christ, the church. And he interchanges them so freely that they're supposed to be a picture of each other. That's how it's supposed to be. And so the reason why we're talking about this before we get into dating is for the simple fact of dating leads to marriage, right? Or is there another perspective that people have on dating? I'm sure there is. Because there's a lot of people that date for what reason? Pleasure. Pleasure Pleasure to themselves. Pleasure together. Just because they like a person. How they make them feel. How that person makes them feel. What kind of value they tend to bring to their life. And the moment those things stop, that relationship is over. So the dating scene in this world today is all about me, 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 and not God. And so this is why it takes a drastic shift in perspective in order for us to get this. Because if the marriage relationship pictures Christ in the church, how in the world do you take something so godless and selfish and self-centered and all of a sudden magically transform it into a picture of Jesus Christ in the church? You don't. You don't. It is, it is almost impossible. And so dating, boyfriend, girlfriend, engagement, that is also a picture of Christ in the church. This is why God says you shouldn't be dating unbelievers. Because how can God have a relationship with a lost person if that lost person is not willing to submit themselves to his authority and ask for salvation? Can he have one? No. So why are we doing it? And that's just using logic, let alone using the Bible. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Because I can show you passages of Scripture where you should not be dating lost people as Christians. But if you just look at this, and you extrapolate this out, look at the context, this is why the dating relationship cannot be a saved person and a lost person. Because a saved person and a lost person cannot reflect the gospel. They can't. It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. 
And this is where it begins. Because if this is where it begins and it ends in marriage, then this is where it needs to begin. Right here. Why would you expect to get on the train and say, oh, this train is taking me to wherever. Pick a place. Anybody? China. 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 Okay. Yeah. Hop in a train of Cleveland taking me to China. Okay. All right. All right. So. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. This is what makes it lively and exciting. You never know what someone's going to say. All right. So you're hopping on a train. You bought a ticket. You're going to China. Okay. But then all of a sudden you show up in Hawaii. <laughs> no, it's in the same direction. Okay, we'll do Australia. How about London? Okay? You show up in London, or you show up in, like, the backwoods of Tanzania, Africa. Okay? You go off, and you're like, wait a minute. How did we get here? I didn't buy this ticket. Uh, yeah, you did. It may have said China on it because you fooled yourself, because you misread it. It actually said Tanzania the whole time. And you're surprised when you get off the train. This is what we do. We're idiots, man. We're dumb. We're self-deceived. We're Laodiceans. That's what we do. We say, no, 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 this is godly. I got this. God can use this for sure, for sure. Oh, okay, all right. Well, then don't be surprised when you end up over here and you're like, what happened? Okay, all right, hold on. Okay, this is part of the frustrating part of my job. And so this is why with you guys, trying to catch you guys early when you're here is so much easier than dealing with issues over here when you get older. It's so much easier to deal with these things now and to live it out right now than to try to fix it later. So much easier. Because later, you're going to have to go and you're going to have to backtrack and there's a lot of baggage involved and there can be other kids and people involved and it just gets super, super messy. So you may think like, you know, I can do this and there's no, there's no, uh, there's no mess. It's just fun. Whatever. Okay. All right. Okay. Just keep riding that train and I'll tell you, it's going to lead you to a place that you do not want to go. You do not want to go there. Okay. All right. So seeing that it can display that picture of the gospel, let's keep going in that paragraph. So it has this incredible potential to display the picture of the gospel to the lost world, Ephesians 5. Shape the hearts and minds of future generations as parents raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, because that's what the husband and wife unit is supposed to be. As they have children, they are now responsible to shape the hearts and minds of those children. And that's why the Bible says that we're supposed to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's Ephesians 6, 4. And it also teaches husbands and wives the deeper truths of God's heart and his word when they do these, these things the right way. So when the husband and wife relationship is not lived out according to God's word, it has the potential to be one of the most destructive tools in society. Satan will capitalize in this area as much as possible. So you've got to be on guard. You have to. As we've discussed from the first section of the series, the serpent was able to successfully usurp God's place in the life of Adam and Eve by attacking their, their foundation in the word of God, causing them to question, contradict, and ultimately change God's words. So a question arises, how has the fall changed the relationship of the husband and wife and their respective roles and responsibilities? And we'll take a look at this, and it's really not a whole lot. So, yeah, you're talking about Adam and Eve. That was a perfect environment. It was different. No, 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 no. It's pretty much the same thing. So the relationship of the husband and wife, they glorify God today by, for sure, having partial dominion over the things of the earth. So in Genesis 3, God laid out some of those things, some of the curses that happen uh, and the consequences of their actions. But in chapter 9, even talking about Noah, he still gave Noah the commission to be in charge of the earth and to be a good steward of the earth. So that still carries on. Like God didn't change his mind on that. So we're still responsible for the creation to a certain extent and taking care of the things that God has given us. Second point there, 
So we glorify God today in the husband-wife relationship by being a good steward. There's your blank. Good steward of the gifts of God and living in the will of God. So every gift that's good that's been given to you has been given to you by God, and you are called to be a good steward of that. But you're also called to be stewards of other things. Go to 1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians is next to 2 Corinthians, in case you're having trouble finding it. 2 Corinthians 4. First Corinthians, sorry. First Corinthians 4. Just trying to keep you on your toes. Sure we <laughs> yeah. First Corinthians 4, verse 1. So I'm read 1 and 2 and then 3 and 4. 1 and 2. Who gets got 3 and 4? Go ahead. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of a man's judgment. Yea, I judge not by own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet I am not hereby justified. But he that judges me is the Lord. Okay, so I want to include those, those, that second set of verses, 3 and 4, based on what it says in verse 1 and 2. So we are the ministers of Christ. The moment that you are saved and you're in God's family, you are called to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You are his representative. And as the minister of Christ, you are called to be stewards of the mysteries of God. What does it mean to be a steward? And it is not someone born into the family of the stewards. I knew there would be at least one person that's thinking that. What does it mean to be a good steward? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. A good steward has to be a good worker, for sure. What else does it mean? Faithful, Faithful with? Your work and relationship. Mm-hmm. Give me a good example of you being a good steward in your home. Let's get real on that one. Yeah. Do the dishes. Yes. So when your parents give you a responsibility, you should be faithful. They should count on you to do a good job and get the job done, right? Timmy. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of times that, you know, and I get this, we grew up and we learned this, I had to learn it too, that my parents, it blessed my parents when I finally started to do things without being asked. But it irritated them if I had to ask them to do everything, or they have to ask me to do everything. So that's something that's very, very important. So being a good steward, that you are able to be trusted. Like whatever you're given, you take it and you do well with whatever it is. And a really good steward is someone who makes it even better. Who thinks outside the box and makes it even better. Okay, so you're called stewards of the mysteries of God. Do you know the mysteries of God? There's seven of them in the New Testament. Anybody know them? Wow, that's a problem. Because you're called to be a steward of the mysteries of God. So do you know them? You should. There's seven of them. The mystery of godliness, about God becoming a man. Can you explain that to somebody? The mystery of Christ indwelling the believer. Can you explain salvation to somebody and what happens at the moment of salvation to somebody? Can you explain the mystery of the church and why the church is so important? Because there's so many people that are forsaking the church. If you're writing these things down, I can just repeat them again here in a minute. So the mystery of godliness. In fact, you know what? I'll put it out and group me. Okay, I'll do it that way. So if you're not in group me, you're not using it, start using it and then you'll get it and you can be a good steward. Okay. All right. Further incentive. Okay. <laughs> All right. So there's the mystery of godliness, the mystery of Christ enjoying the believer, the mystery of the church. There's also the mystery of Israel's restoration, that God promised that Israel is going to be restored one day. 
There are so many people that are abandoning that principle. There are people that call themselves Christians but don't like Israel. Are you kidding me? That's not being a good steward of the mysteries of God. Because God promised that they would come back together. They are his people. That never ended somewhere. So that's a mystery that we need to be a good steward of. The mystery of the rapture. Can you explain the rapture to somebody? Can you go to those passages? 1 Corinthians 15. You should be able to. The mystery of iniquity. This is the plan of the devil throughout human history to accomplish whatever he wants to usurp God's authority and God's plan and how he's going to bring the Antichrist to really replace the Messiah in the eyes of the world. And then the seventh one is the, is the mystery of Babylon. Mystery Babylon and how the Antichrist is going to build his kingdom to try to thwart God's kingdom from being established on the earth. So those are seven specific mysteries given to us New Testament church believers. Yeah. There's some people in here that probably don't know why they're called mysteries. Mm-hmm. Well, they're called mysteries because the Bible says that they're mysteries. So when you look up these passages that I will put them, you know, I'll put them in the group me, those passages, they list specifically that this is a mystery, and then it gives what that mystery is, and then it, it explains it right there. Yeah. It gives what that mystery is, so then it's no longer a mystery. Right. So why is it called a mystery? Well, we use mystery different. Mm-hmm. Because we, when we say, oh, that's just a mystery, which means you can't know it. God's like, no, no, no. When he says something's a mystery, it's something that's just breathtaking. Something that he had once hidden, but now it's been revealed, and it's absolutely incredible. That's God's definition of mystery. So I'll put those out in the group me later tonight. So those are things you should be good stewards of. So you should know them. So you're supposed to be good stewards of those things. You're, you're a good steward of the gospel, which means that you believe it yourself, but you also give it to other people. God's given you something extremely valuable. You should be a good steward of those things. Uh, you should be a good steward of the time that he wants to spend with you. I mean, there's just so many things as you consider some of these verses. So what else are we supposed to do? We're supposed to glorify God by being fruitful, multiplying, replenishing the earth physically and spiritually. Spiritually is your blank there. Being fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth physically and spiritually. That's 2 Timothy 2.2. Who knows that one? 2 Timothy 2.2, it's our discipleship verse. And the things of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That's our responsibility. We're supposed to do that. So in order to be someone who's entrusted with the things of God to then invest in another person, you have to be a good disciple. You have to be, which means that you're faithful in meeting with your disciple or that you're faithful with whatever assignments your disciple gives you with anything involved with discipleship. You're faithful because one day you're going to be passed off to somebody else and someone else's spiritual life is going to be in your hands. That's in a huge, huge responsibility. So we've got to be able to do that. And then lastly, having a thriving relationship with God. And I use the word thriving on purpose because I think most people don't have a thriving relationship with God. They've got a, what's up God, relationship. But they don't have a thriving relationship. Like if there came a day where you didn't talk to God at all, you'd be dying inside. That's what we're talking about. Because that's what you're supposed to have. That's what you should have. So that's how we glorify God. And that's how the husband and wife glorifies God today. All right. And I'm going to go through these really quick because we could spend weeks on this. Weeks. The husband's responsibilities. And I'm going to briefly work through these things. This would be a great study for you. So guys, as far as you're concerned, if you need something to study, if you go through these verses and you start to work through some of this stuff, this would be a great study for you personally and say, you know what, how can I live this out? So the husband's responsibilities. First of all, to love his wife. Well, that's easy. 
<laughs> All right. So you know what he says in Ephesians 5.25? Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Not the love you're thinking necessarily, but the love that God's thinking. How did Jesus display his love for the church? Yeah. He died. He gave his life, everything, for the church. In what ways do you give yourself and sacrifice your life for other people? For your family? For people in need? For church? Like, this is what we're talking about here. This is how you can put some of these things into practice. Loving his wife as Christ loved the church. He's supposed to know his wife. To know her intimately, deeply, everything about her. And as you guys, you'll find out later, it's absolutely impossible to know your wife completely. It's just, I mean, literally, it's impossible. Mm-hmm. It's like impossible. <laughs> and so it's a never-ending never journey. It's a never-ending adventure in order to try to learn your wife and to understand her. Because you never really will understand her, but God tells you that you're supposed to try. Okay. So now think about it from this perspective. Do you have a daily desire to know God? Because knowing God is impossible. Because he's infinite. Like, you can't, you can't ever, oh yeah, oh yeah, I know everything about God. <laughs> you, can't, you can never come to that place. And so, you can practice this today by knowing the Lord. How do you know the Lord? Well, you spend time with him. And the more time you spend with God, the more you get to know him. And the more and more and more time you spend with God, you're going to be like, oh my gosh. I didn't know this about God, or I thought I did, but I totally misunderstood it. You should get to know God. You should get to know other people. How well do you know people? We've been spending some time talking about, even in our youth ministry, how well do you know each and every person in this room, whether they're awake or sleeping right now? How well do you know them? Because you should know them. This is your ministry. There's people that are here that you need to get to know. And then thirdly, to dwell with his wife. To, to dwell with his wife. Now, when it comes to dwelling... It means that you're comfortable together, that you're able to be in the same space together. I mean, practically speaking, your relationship with God, do you dwell with God very well? Like, is this, I've used the illustration in the past about how, you know, your whole life, your mind, your heart is kind of like a giant house. And are there certain areas of your house that God just is not allowed to go into? Well, you can't dwell comfortably like that. There's no way you can dwell comfortably with God if he's not allowed in certain areas of your life. Is that, are you that way with people? Think about that. Dwelling with his wife. That's part of his responsibilities. To honor her. To treat her as if she's the most precious possession that he has. That if something were to happen to her, that he would be absolutely devastated. To honor her. To esteem her. To speak highly of her. There's a lot of husbands that don't speak highly of their wives. A lot. And God says that's your responsibility. You should be doing that with God and with other people. To provide for his wife. So that way she doesn't have to worry about anything. To take care of her. God holds that on your shoulders, guys. That's what you're supposed to do. How well do you provide for this ministry? How well do you provide for other people to meet their needs? To teach his wife, which means that he must be walking with God himself. And he needs to know how to walk with God. And he's teaching his wife and his family the Bible. Can you teach the Bible to other people? Have you ever had an opportunity to open up the Bible and go to a place and teach someone out of the scriptures? You should. You should be able to do that. If you can't do it with other people, how are you going to do it with your wife? And God tells you you're supposed to. And to protect his wife. How well do you do with protecting this ministry? Have you ever thought about that you might be responsible to protect this ministry? 
How do you protect this ministry? That's a question for you. I'm going to leave that one in your lap right now. What, what's a way that you would protect this ministry? Give me a couple ways. Yeah, absolutely. If someone's struggling in their Christian walk, are you there by their side helping them, trying to talk to them, trying to encourage them? Yeah, Leah. Praying specifically for this yeah, praying, absolutely. Do you think the enemy wants you guys to succeed? Uh, no, <laughs> in case you're wondering. He doesn't, so praying's huge. Noah. By not completely blowing your own testimony. Yeah. And then if somebody in your ministry blows it, that you don't just shun them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, walk with God yourself, number one, and make sure you're where you're supposed to be and making sure you're taking care of other people. Jack? Yeah, we all need encouragement. It's much easier to walk with God when we have encouragement to do so, right? Yeah. It's very, very easy in a group like this for someone to hear about something from somebody else and then start bickering and complaining to somebody else. Very, very easy. That cannot happen. And if you hear someone doing that, it's your responsibility to take care of this ministry and end it and encourage reconciliation. You need to be able to do that. Yeah. Showing the love of the Mexicans. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Loving Mexicans. That's how you can protect this ministry. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Um, and I haven't yeah. But protecting each other's hearts, minds, and purity. Mm-hmm. Like not just dating around the group because you just go from person to person to person because that destroys ministry. Mm-hmm. When people are just dating to date, it gets yeah. really nasty. Yeah. And taking ownership of stuff. I'll give you an example of this one. So last October, so when we went to Mexico, the first day we were there, we went and we saw a movie. And um, in some of the split, we went and saw two different movies. Um, well, we went last October, and we were with a smaller group. It was mostly adults. Um, in fact, they were all adults. They're all older. And so we went to go see a movie. Well, out of all the movies that were playing, you know, they had this and that. And it was like, ah, no, that's a stupid, cheesy movie. And so we decided to go see the movie Venom. That's, that's, that's good. That's good. That's yeah, good. from your perspective. <laughs> but when you have some adults that are going... We had a few of them that were like, mm, and then we had a few that walked out because it was just a little bit too much for them. I noticed that, and even as I'm watching the movie, I'm convicted in my heart because I'm like, okay, I'm the leader of this group, and we're on this trip together. I made the call to watch this movie. I have members of my team that are walking out because God's convicting them that they shouldn't be watching this movie. So this puts me in a very precarious situation. So when we get out, I decide, I'm like, I got to make this right. I huddle everyone together, and I said, hey, I just want to let you guys know that this was not the wisest choice of the movie for us to go see together as a group, and that's my fault, and I should have done a better job. That took some guts for me to do, because I really didn't want to do that, but I knew I needed to to make things right. Now, was I personally convicted about that movie? No. I've seen that movie before. I wanted to see it again. I thought it would be nice for us to go do, but then in light of that circumstance, I'm like, you know what? I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. So things like that. If you guys are going to see movies together or if you're hanging out together and something unfolds, 
you need to take ownership of it. Maybe you're partly responsible for it. Or maybe you need to make a call. You're like, you know what? Let's just get out of here. It's better for us not to be here. Do that. You need to protect this ministry. All right. And then the wife's responsibilities. God has called her to submit to her husband. And this is not some, you know, demeaning women type thing that a lot of people try to put it into. No. See, a wife can submit to her husband when her husband is acting like Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is going to lovingly lead us wherever he wants us to go. And it's always for our good. So if a guy actually has that mindset and he's leading like Jesus would, then it's very easy for a wife to say, yeah, I'll follow your lead. But that's part of the problem. There's a lot of knucklehead guys who aren't acting like Christ. And that's what makes it very hard for women to be submissive biblically. And so it's nothing that what people are trying to say that we're trying to do. It's none of that. It's a very good, good thing. Uh, People just mischaracterize it all the time. She's called to love her husband, to love her completely, totally. She speaks very, very highly of her husband. Everyone knows that she loves him. Everyone knows. They, They don't question her devotion at all because of how much she loves him. Thirdly, to reverence her husband, to respect him, and to understand that he has a huge responsibility given to him by God. I mean, if anyone's going to be called on the carpet for the marriage and the family, it's the husband. And so the wife needs to be able to respect that role that God's given him. And try to help him as much as possible because he cannot do it without her. And that leads into the fourth one. She's supposed to help her husband. To help him in any way that she can. Not that she's secondary at all. Because as she helps him, he will help her. And in turn, they'll be able to both be the best that they can possibly be for each other. And so here's the whole point that I mentioned at the very beginning. Even though you're not a husband or a wife right now, you should still put these things into practice immediately. And I think that we've already talked about some examples of how you can do that. And here's the reality. A biblical husband and wife relationship will make each other better and more fruitful. That's the way it's supposed to work. So as we talked about, marriage, dating. This is a very key indicator of whether or not you should be dating the person that you're dating or interested in the person that you're interested in. Does that other person make you better, a more faithful Christian, more devoted to the Lord, to walk closer to the Lord, to spend more time with them, to be more committed to ministry? Do they actually make you better in that sense? And do they make you more fruitful? that you're able to affect more people for Jesus Christ and win more souls to the Lord because of your relationship together. That's a much different measuring stick than how this world tends to measure relationships and dating relationships. But that's what it's supposed to be in marriage. So that's what it should be also in dating. So we need to think about some of these things. They're very, very important. Very important. Okay. So... The last part we don't have time to go through, and um, uh, and also I think uh, Rick also mentioned Aquila and Priscilla and studying them out as a couple that you could take a look at as a great example. Well, I also threw in Ahab and Jezebel as an example of what not to do. Oh my word. Talk about a dude that was whipped. That's Ahab. Man, this guy had no cojones for sure. It's true. Read it. This guy was a sissy. I mean, I'll give you one example, and then we'll close it out. So... Ahab wanted this field, and the field belonged to Naboth. Oh, and Naboth, he won't give me the field. He comes home, and he's whining. He's actually laying on his bed and crying about it. <laughs> Read it. You know, what, you know what Jezebel does? She's like, don't worry, I got it. She manipulates the entire circumstance and ends up killing the guy indirectly, but she's responsible, 
and then says, Arise, go, the field's yours, Ahab. Oh, thank you, Jezebel, thank you. Oh, my word. Oh, it makes me want to vomit just thinking about it. So anywho, Ahab and Jezebel is a great one to look at as far as what not to do. What not to do. And then Aquila and Priscilla were a, a match made in heaven. They did a great job for the Lord. And they were a ministry team that really rocked everywhere they went. And they're pretty amazing to look at. So these are things you guys really need to consider. We went through a lot of stuff tonight. But this is something that I just don't want to pass on and be done with now that it's over. I really want you to think about this. You guys need to be biblical husbands. And you got to start now. Ladies, you guys need to be biblical wives. And you've got to start now. You have to. And so how are you at home? How are you with your friends? How are you in ministry? How are you with the Lord? Because all those things are a picture of what you're going to be one day. So make some of those changes now. So that way you can actually do your job well. Because the world is counting on it. And I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I've heard it said that Christianity is always one generation away from extinction. And when my kids get older, I want there to be a church for them. I really do. And I've heard from so many people about how there aren't churches like ours out there today. And it's true. And we need to multiply. We need to reproduce. Well, we're not going to be able to multiply and reproduce if you guys don't start now doing what God has called you to do. Because I'm telling you, next four to five years, you guys are going to be graduated and out of here. You're going to be in college, getting jobs, and you guys are going to be the prime candidates to help us start other churches in other areas. Like this isn't something that's far away. This is very, very near and it's very close. And so future communities and future families need you guys to be faithful. So keep those things in mind. So it's a lot bigger. It's a lot bigger than what we tend to think, the self-pleasure relationship stuff that we tend to focus on. Stephen, yes. Can I say one yeah, go ahead. And you probably already said it just from what experience and whatnot. But like I know sometimes when adults talk about relationships, it goes in one ear and out the other. And oh, what do they know and stuff. But we teach this because of what all of us leaders have gone through. Like some of us don't have hard stories and others of us have had to like be a lot of losers I'm going to say it and go, go through a lot of stuff and I mean it's our own stupid fault so we say these things lovingly like now's your chance to do it right so that you don't follow our paths and have to like once again date a bunch of losers to get to the right one so mm-hmm. it's true this is out of love no it is it totally is she was really lucky to have this I did not have this and I did it I didn't have this either, and then I felt my I got into a world world of hurt, and and I've told you guys this before. This whole series has been born out of my heartache, and the lowest points in my life of the decisions that I've made. So, you know how I mentioned on Sunday, learn from your past experiences and the experiences of others. This is what we're talking about. Please don't do what we did. Do better. You guys have a great opportunity to do it. And I know with this kind of stuff, it's close to the heart. It's close to your emotions. And so a lot of people don't want to listen to this stuff because of that. And that makes it even more dangerous. So please take heed to this stuff. And we'll be praying that you do. I hope you do. And if you have any questions about this stuff and how this works out, please ask. I've mentioned to this to you, to you guys before. I, I feel like a lot of you don't take advantage of us leaders the way that you should. I think there's a lot of things that you should be thinking about, a lot of questions you should be asking that many of you are not asking. And I don't know if it's out of fear because you may know what the answer is or that you think we're going to come down on you. Here's my rule, and I've told you guys this before. If you have enough guts to come to me and ask me a hard question, 
I respect that. And so I'll tell you the truth, but I'm not going to beat you over the head about it. You're asking me a question that, frankly, when I was your age, I was afraid to ask. So please take advantage of us. We're available. Text us at any time. Uh, and I mean that. Call us at any time. If you want to get together with any of us at any point in time, just contact us. We do a lot of reaching out, and we should, but I want you guys to reach back because we need to make that happen. All right. We're done. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word and the things you've given us, and thank you for the things you've taught me um, at the low points in my life. And I pray these things would really resonate in the hearts and minds of everyone here. We would consider this and that we'd be obedient so we can honor and glorify you the way that we were made to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget.